Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. What do you do when a believer begins to doubt? Oh, that's something we don't talk about because usually we talk about taking them from doubt and bringing them to a belief system. What happens if you've got a belief system but you're doubting? Now, I know you're not ever going to admit you doubt. You're not going to admit you worry. You may wonder, but I'll be honest with you, most of us, if not all of us in this room, deal with, at times, the uncertainty of how. See, you've got to understand what doubt is. Doubt's not unbelief. Doubt is this expectation, but yet you're not sure how it's going to work out. So you doubt before you become an unbeliever. Okay, y'all not with me. See, doubt's that uncertainty. You ever had some uncertainties about life? You ever had some uncertainties about how things are going to work out? <laughs> yeah. You've never had a question. You've never had a question. That's what I'm thinking. Most of us have had some questions on how. I know I'm not the only one in this room who had some questions on when. How many's had some issues with God? Is it related to time delays? Like, are you kidding me? Some of you have been holding on to promises for years, waiting for the fulfillment and the manifestation of such, and in the meantime, it's not that you're in unbelief, but you do have some seasons of doubt where you begin to question or become uncomfortable in waiting. Anybody ever got uncomfortable in waiting? Especially when church folk looking at you. Because you've been saying this is what you believe in God for and it hadn't manifested or materialized yet. People looking at you going, hey, I don't understand. I, I, I think something's wrong with their faith. Got to be careful because doubt that's not checked will become unbelief. Doubt that's not checked will become unbelief. Now, I'm going to make you feel better this morning. How about that? Come on, you're going to have to talk louder than that. It's raining hard. Don't leave me up here all by myself. I remember standing in the office of a pastor that preaches to a couple thousand every week, and, and he made the statement to me, preach him happy. I looked at him and I thought, dear God, there's no way. You're going to tell me to go preach them happy. Do you understand for me to preach you happy is an inner... It's an impossibility. But I can help you with this. You're not the first person to ever doubt. You won't be the last person to doubt. In fact, the Bible has a full landscape of greater men and greater women than you and I who doubted. Moses doubted God when God says to him, I want you to speak to Pharaoh and bring my people out of captivity. And Moses goes, who, me? I can't do it. I'm the one with a speech impediment. He doubted God's ability to use a man with a limitation. Am I right? Gideon, a man who, who was chosen by God to lead an army. And Gideon says to the angel, you can't choose me. I am the least likely to succeed in my tribe. And God says, that's all right, I can use you. And Gideon goes, no, I don't think so. He had doubt. Do you understand doubt's not a new issue? David, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Is that right? 
But in Psalm 13, the Bible says, David goes, look God, how long are you going to go and keep forgetting me? A man after God's own heart doubted whether God was even paying attention to it. Don't you think Elijah had an issue with doubt? When Jezebel threatened to kill him, and he goes up underneath a juniper tree and begs to die? Why? Because he doubted God's ability to carry him through his destiny. Because he heard the threatenings of Jezebel from the Word. Jonah doubted God. In fact, so much so, he ran from God. Didn't work out real well for Jonah. Anybody go to Sunday school? Y'all didn't go to Sunday school? Y'all hear the story of Jonah and the whale? Y'all act like you didn't go to church. You, went to, you heard the story of Jonah and the whale? How'd he end up in the belly of a whale? He ran from God. Why? Because he doubted there could be a revival in Nineveh, and he said, I'm not going. Sometimes doubt will make you run. Sometimes doubt will make you want to die. Okay. Sometimes doubt will tell you you're not good enough. You're not presentable enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not eloquent enough. You're not, you're not abil- you're, you don't have enough ability to do what God asks you to do. Sometimes doubt will be so strong that you'll be like Eve in the garden. Do you realize that doubt came in Genesis 3? Because Eve is in the garden and the, the enemy Satan shows up and says to Eve, Did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree? So we can trace doubt all the way back to the beginning of time with Eve dealing with the enemy, questioning and doubting God. Now, Matthew chapter 11, you ready? All right, how many know I work in backwards? I work backwards. So we're going to work backwards. Chapter 11, verse 7. You there? Say amen. As they departed... Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. John who? John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Seems like a simple question. Jesus says, what did you go out there to see when you went to see John the Baptist? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? Ask the same question again. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in the king's house. Now, we know John the Baptist didn't dress in king's garments. Why? Because he couldn't be bought out by culture. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, his garment and his appetite was quite unique. The Bible said that he was clothed in camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. Why? Because he was a picture of, I'm not dependent on culture for my identity. Here's what Jesus said. Indeed, those who wear soft garments or soft clothing are of the king's house. But what did you go out to see? Jesus asked three times. How many know if Jesus asks you three questions, there's obviously something you should learn? Hmm? Three times he said, what did you go out to see? So he asked him, did you go out to see a prophet? Here's what Jesus says about John the Baptist. How many know this is a powerful affirmation? He said, yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. For this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Listen to what Jesus said about John. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is not one risen any greater than John the Baptist. How many know that is an absolute accolade when Jesus goes, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist? How many say, I want to pattern my life after John the Baptist? I want Jesus to say, you are super. 
Wouldn't you like for Jesus to compliment you and say, there's nobody been born greater than you? I mean, do you understand what Jesus said? He said, I know you went out into the wilderness. You didn't just see a prophet. You didn't just see a forerunner. You've seen one who was greater than anyone ever born. I mean, that's powerful. Jesus goes, there's nobody like John the Baptist. My cousin is it. Okay, since we're working in backwards, let's go back to verse 2. Same chapter. Same chapter, verse 2. Now, the Bible says, John the Baptist, in verse 2, And when John had heard in prison... Now remember, Jesus said there's no one greater than John the Baptist, right? But right now, John the Baptist is incarcerated in prison. You want to know why? Because he was so bold that he told Herod, you're wrong for marrying your, her, his brother's wife. Hmm. So he finds himself in prison. Now listen. And when he heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you coming? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? You see that? John the Baptist is in prison. He's hearing about the ministry of Jesus. And he asks the question, Are you the one? Or should we look for another? Y'all like, Please explain this to me because I'm confused. Here's my thought. If you look at the resume of John the Baptist, and you look at it closely, God had a plan for John the Baptist from the beginning. All right? Elizabeth, his mother, Zacharias, his daddy, were barren, could not have children. Miraculously, by the power of God, Elizabeth becomes an expectant mother. At six months or so, Mary, the mother of Jesus, meet. And when Mary speaks to Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the infant child in the womb of his mother, begins to leap and is filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I right? That's his resume. From his birthing, he's the cousin of Jesus on the natural sense, but on a prophetic sense, he is called to be a forerunner. And John the Baptist says things like this. He says, I, being John the Baptist, must decrease that he might increase. John the Baptist says things like this in chapter 3 of Matthew. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whom I'm not even worthy to lace or carry his sandals, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. John the Baptist's resume was this. He baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And when Jesus went under the water and came up, the voice of God Almighty, come on now, speaks and says, This is my Son, and I am so pleased of Him. And John the Baptist is a part of all that. And John the Baptist had proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah to those that didn't want to hear. He told religious leaders, you're nothing but a broad of vipers. You're misled and misguided. Let me point you to one whom you must follow. 
Jesus even, even gives the acclamation, there's no one greater born than John the Baptist, right? But I just read while he was in prison, he questioned everything he ever preached. Whoa, 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 y'all missing that? He's in prison, and he says to his disciples, go ask, is he the one? I mean, the whole time John the Baptist was living and preaching his message, it was always Jesus is the one. Now he's going, are you the one? Oh, come on, somebody ought to start feeling better about your doubt. (laughs) Because here's John the Baptist, full of the Holy Ghost from his mama's womb. The unique preacher who wasn't dependent on anybody else, who thundered the message of righteousness, who preached the gospel and preached everyone to follow Jesus, now finds himself in a prison of abandonment and isolation, and he's no longer the man that everybody is circling around. Now they're all following Jesus. Now all his disciples have become Jesus' disciples. The multitudes he'd been speaking to in the wilderness are no longer there, and he's incarcerated. How many know when you find yourself in a place of incarceration or abandonment, you begin to doubt? And the question John the Baptist asks is, are you the one? He's questioning or doubting the identity and the calling of Jesus Christ. Although just before that, he had preached that he's the one. See, somebody ought to go, you know what I'm saying? I mean, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in water. He saw the Holy Spirit come down. He heard the voice of God. He had all those experiences, and he still doubted. I'll somebody go, whoo. Because, see, a lot of times if we feel like we're doubting that for some reason God has just wrote us off, and that we're no longer a part of, of, of his system because we doubted. Who is the greatest doubter of all? Thomas. At least that's what we say in the church. We say, well, Thomas is the greatest doubter. Well, what was his issue? What was Thomas's issue? He said, I'm not going to believe in the resurrection just because you told me. I want to put my fingers in his nail-scarred hand. Does that seem reasonable? I'm not judging Thomas. I'm just going to be honest. I'm kind of like Thomas. Look, if you really it, I'm going to put my fingers in your nail-scarred hand just to make sure. Because I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be misled. I don't want to be a heretic. I want to make sure. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't overly rebuke Thomas either. So who's made you feel guilty for doubting? Who made you feel guilty for having seasons of uncertainty? Who made you feel like for some reason you were less than took a step down the rung because you began to have some issues of doubt? Interesting thought, isn't it? Because many of us in this room deal with doubt. Questions. And most of our doubt is centered in we're not sure how it's going to work out. Oh, goodness. If I, 
if I understand me, so I, I can't always understand y'all, but I can understand me. And here's my deal. It's not that I have unbelief. It's I can't figure out the timing of God. Because God's timing to me is not the same as mine. Because it feels like a day is a thousand and a thousand as a day. So what should take a day seems to be taking a thousand. Because <laughs> I'm impatient, and there ain't nobody in here like me, but I know that I'm impatient. And I know when I get impatient, I feel myself abandoned. What was John the Baptist suffering from? Abandonment. Why? Because he's in prison. He's incarcerated. He's taken out of the circle. And so when he's in prison, he has time to think. Okay, here we go. If you have time to think, what normally happens to you? How many gets themselves in a thought loop? You on the interstate bypass, you're putting quarters in the merry-go-round and around and around and around. And the more times you go around in your thought, the dizzier you get. See, even Jesus didn't condemn John the Baptist for his unbelief. I find that so encouraging to me to think that he is a remedy that doesn't become panicked because of my doubts. Because obviously I'm not the first, nor will I ever be the last to doubt. In fact, I'm probably, and pardon the expression, normal. Y'all didn't need to see what she said to me. Because obviously she said, 26 years, 27 years, give or take, of marriage, she's pretty sure I'm not normal. But as it relates to the kingdom, I'm pretty normal because I deal with issues of abandonment and isolation and feeling like I'm incarcerated and I didn't deserve it. And I begin to question when things don't work the way I thought they were going to work to doubt the authenticity of God working all things for my good. Now here's what's interesting because this whole series is about remedy and today dealing with doubt, Right? and dealing with doubt and finding a remedy in it. And I thought, this is so fitting for us, because when John the Baptist comes to this place where he understands he's dealing with doubt of who the identity of Christ is, he takes his doubt and sends them to Jesus. Come on now. He's sitting in prison. He calls two disciples over and says, Go to this Jesus who's doing all these wonderful things that I'm hearing about in prison, and ask him, are you the one? Now, how many know Jesus wanted to laugh when he heard that? Because for the whole time, all, all John the Baptist has ever said is, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. But when life interrupts faith, see, there are three elements to doubt. No, not three elements. Three instigators to doubt. One is Satan. 
Doubt is instituted or started or birthed many times by Satan. He did it with Eve in Genesis 3, right? So sometimes you deal with the enemy bringing doubt. The second element that contributes to doubt is generational things. Oh, I'm going to blow you all away right here. In Luke chapter 1, the Bible speaks of Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist. The angel comes to John the Baptist's daddy and says, you're going to be a daddy. And, and John the Baptist's daddy, Zechariah, said, ha! Don't you know that woman I'm married to is old? We're past childbearing years. Read your Bible. It's an interesting book. Okay? The angel said, no, God said, your woman is going to give birth to the forerunner of Christ. She's going to have a child. And Zechariah goes, no, 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 and argues with the angel to the point. The angel Read your Bible. The daddy of John the Baptist had so much doubt, the angel had to cause him to go mute. Y'all not listening. (laughs) See, some of you right now go, I've been trying to blame the daddy, or or, I'm trying to blame the devil, but sometimes it was my daddy. Some of your doubt didn't come from your enemy. I understand it's easy to blame the enemy for the, the origin of doubt. What of your own daddy? What if you grew up in a culture, a life that was full of doubt? You were afraid to walk under a ladder. Because of the power of... Oh, y'all don't want to talk. Because of the power of superstition and doubt. I know some of you are throwing salt over your shoulders because... Never mind. Where'd you learn that? From family? Huh? From your family? Why? Because you learn faith and or doubt or unbelief from the pedigree and the genealogy of your family. Come on now, be honest with me. So we can look at John the Baptist and say he had unbelief issues or doubt issues because his own daddy... I mean, can you imagine the angel had to cause him to go mute for about the pregnancy terms? He didn't get to speak until he could name the child. Why? Because God knew that if he spoke doubt, as the, oh, y'all don't want to hear this. If he would have spoke doubt as the patriarch and the priest of the house, then he could have possibly given forth an abortion to a child that was promised. Because if you speak, because life and death is in the power of the tongue, that if you speak doubt long enough, you will cancel the miracle. Okay? Alright? Three three elements or origins of doubt. Y'all working with me? Some of it comes from Satan, some of it comes from generational, and the other comes from circumstantial. If you can't blame the devil and you can't blame your daddy, sometimes doubt comes because of the circumstances of life. John never doubted until he was imprisoned. He never confessed doubt until he found himself abandoned and incarcerated and outside of the flow. 
Sometimes circumstance in your life causes you to doubt. Am I right? So there's three elements, three origins of where your doubt comes from. Sometimes it's Satan. Sometimes it's generational. Sometimes it's circumstantial. And sometimes it's all three together. Just to make you feel better. Because sometimes you spend all your time trying to figure out, is it the devil, was it my grandparents, or is it my circumstance? Sometimes it's all of them, and you still got to deal with your, del- your, your, your doubt and deal with it. Now, here's how Paul or John the Baptist dealt with it. All right, let me tie this together and get done. John the Baptist, dealing with his doubt, takes his doubt, calls two disciples to him, and says, Here, take my question to Jesus. Now, that's interesting. And the question is, I'm not sure your identity or your credentials. Are you really the Son of God, or do we need to look for another? What do you do with your doubts? Most of us, when we have doubts, we share them with those that are closest to us. Sometimes. Sometimes, and most of the time for me, I put it all inside me and don't talk to anybody. I'm just looking around the room to see who else might do that. I mean, put it all inside. I don't want my wife to know because she'll think I'm insecure and I'm struggling. I don't want to know that, so I just keep it all inside. I'll wrestle my own doubts. See, to have a remedy for doubt, you have to be willing to reveal it to the answer. See, the problem is, when you reveal your doubt to Jesus, what you're saying is, I'm trying to refire my faith in you. See, if I hold it to myself, I don't get an answer. See, John the Baptist could have held his doubts and wrestled them mentally and never really released them to Jesus. See, sometimes your remedy for doubt is your ability to confess you got it. Because what you're unwilling to confront Huh? It don't change just because you're sitting in a prison going, I wish it changed, I wish it changed. Sometimes you've got to confess it so it can change. See, nobody wants to confess doubt in this room today. Nobody wants to be the first person to stand up and go, I got doubt issues. Nobody's going to run up for him and go, Pastor, give me the microphone. I want everybody in the church to know. <laughs> I have doubts. I have questions. And I want everybody to know I'm doubting. When's the last time you heard that testimony on the platform? You don't. You get everybody parading up there how the miracle came, how the manifestation came. And then you're sitting there with your doubt going, what's wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Yeah, you're normal. You're normal like all the great men of God. You're normal. Because we all deal with doubt. John the Baptist took his doubt and released them to Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus hears it. Now, I don't know if he chuckled or not. If I was Jesus, I'd have chuckled. I'd have went, you <laughs> really? Because, see, when you're isolated and you're abandoned and you don't have that circle around you anymore, you pretty much feel like, what's the point? And doubt seems to swirl. Well, when he releases his doubt, he really puts himself in a position to step up. Now, he may not ever get out of prison. In fact, he didn't. He's going to die. 
But nonetheless, by releasing his doubt, he's about to receive something back from Jesus that became a remedy even though his circumstance didn't change. Okay, listen to this. When the two disciples get to Jesus and they go, Look, you know your forerunner, the one you've been bragging about? He's got doubts. You know those two disciples were really proud to tell that. Huh? You got some friends like that in your life? Huh? They're they really proud to tell. About, hey, let me tell you about. Mm-hmm. Bad news travels real quick, don't it? So here's the deal. Y'all right? Yeah, it's still raining. You don't want to get out in this mess. It means I can preach all day. I, I check the weather. <laughs> we may start building an ark in a minute. I don't know. Here's the thing. They, John the Baptist releases his doubts. Are you the one, or should I look for another one? I need to know. i got questions. Jesus turns around and releases a prophetic word back to John the Baptist. You got your Bibles open? Now notice what he says. He said, go tell John the things which you hear and see. You see that in the latter part of verse 4? All right? He said, go tell John this. This is what I want you to tell him. Verse 5, tell him the blind see. Tell him the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see that? Now, how many know if we just read that, that doesn't mean anything to us? We're like, okay, good, Jesus is talking about how great he is. But see, John the Baptist knew the word. What Jesus quoted right there is Isaiah 35, verse 5 and verse 6. Wait a minute, y'all going, whoa, wait a minute, that means a different story here. Because what happened is, Jesus understood, John the Baptist understood certain things. And because he's the remedy, he doesn't try to introduce you to something you can't comprehend. He brings you back to a foundation that you can't understand. What am I saying? Jesus knows how to speak your language. Oh, hallelujah. So when he says to John the Baptist, you go back and tell him that the blind see, the lame walk, what Jesus is doing is he's quoting Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, because it was prophesied that that was the ministry of Jesus. So when the word comes back to John the Baptist, it's not just a word, it's a word he already knows. Oh, glory. It's a word that he'd been preaching. So how did Jesus remedy doubt? By bringing the Word back into your present situation and reminding you of what you already know. You say, I don't understand what you mean, Pastor. I mean, if you've been in the house of faith long enough, you've got Word in you. And when you're doubting, if you will release your doubt to Him, the remedy, He will send a word back to you. And the word that comes back to you will give you a foundation based on where you've been so you can go to where you're going. See, we got an idea. We want Jesus to come hug us. 
You know, we want Jesus to have a benevolent program. Huh? See, most of us are like John the Baptist. We're sitting in a prison. We're in abandoned. We're doubting. And we want Him to send Himself to our place of abandonment and isolation in prison and go, oh, bless your heart. Yeah, I'm so proud. You were such a wonderful... So we have the idea that Jesus should come to us and hug us, embrace us, and cause the warmth to cause our doubts to flee. And Jesus don't do that. Jesus turns around and sends a prophetic word that John the Baptist had already preached. I know you don't like that, because it would be better if you could get Jesus to come every time you cry. But sometimes he'll use a Sunday morning just like this to bring you back to a place to remind you of what you believed in, to reaffirm to you what you had spoken. Here's what's going to kill you right here. Romans 10:17. Somebody quote it. Okay, y'all panicked right there, I can tell. Romans 10:17 says faith. Now you're getting it. Come on, faith. Oh, now, now you're working it. Y'all are like, I know that. Just didn't know where it was. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing the Word. What's the opposite of doubt? Faith. What's Jesus do to John the Baptist? He doesn't pat him on the shoulder. He doesn't throw a party of encouragement. He doesn't send the benevolent ministry over to stroke his... Don't make me go there because I'll be hateful. Because some... Yeah, man. I won't say it. Some people feel like the church should run every time they got a problem, a circumstance, a situation... That we should run to you. That we should prop you up. Lest you fall. Do you understand Jesus' ministry was never that way? If he wants you to stand, he sent you the word. The reason doubt is so rampant in today's church is because we have preached a therapeutic gospel instead of a prophetic word. The reason the church has become so anemic and so pale and so fragile and so fragmented is because we've given them an epidural. We don't want you to feel pain. So we hook you up to an epidural to where we numb the pain so you don't deal with reality. But sometimes the reality reveals the doubt so you can confess it so the remedy can be a prophetic word that moves you out of isolation and abandonment. Glory to God. Is that too deep? God forbid I be too deep this morning. Where's the assurance? The assurance is when Jesus responded with a prophetic word out of Isaiah and sends it right back to him and goes, Hey, that thing you've been hoping for, I'm it. <laughs> that conviction, John, that you preached with, let me tell you, it's working. 
the confidence you had that God was sending His Son, I'm Him. Because all that time, John the Baptist said, this is the Son of God. It wasn't until he was abandoned and imprisoned that he began to question. And he began to question why. Because the facts didn't measure up. One of the greatest struggles I have in my life is when it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel or appear the facts of my life are measuring up with the promise. Come on, stand with me. Maybe. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.